This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Guy Clark. Maybe not the voice you're expecting to hear with Josh Williams away this week, recharging his batteries ahead of the new season. Fear not, though, on hand to provide expert analysis, as always, is Dave Hughes. Dave, I think this is where I ask you uh, about your haircut, isn't it? How are you doing? <laughs> I can see you prepared, Guy. Well done. Um, my hair is fine, mate, and um, I'm doing well. And I'm, I'm trying to adjust to your southern accent compared to, you know, they're quite grisly you know scouse accent that i'm used to from josh but um yeah you know uh glad to have you mate glad to have you on the show yeah i think for me this is i think completing the set now across blood red doing post game the, the blood red podcast and now analyzing anfield I'm, I'm normally producing with you guys but with josh away i've been uh thrust into the uh host's chair and uh hopefully i don't embarrass myself yeah that's the interesting thing isn't it because um you are actually always on the show you just you know, um, a silent ghost almost listening in and judging, but not saying anything. And then we normally have to explain our conversations after where you, you quiz us and question us on our opinions. Normally when we bring up Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm normally just firing in on the the, uh, the WhatsApp, as mm. you say, just irritating you guys whilst you're doing the pod. But anyway, we'll, we'll see how we get on today. Coming up, we'll be looking back on the Community Shield game with Arsenal and looking into and how crucially and, and why the game played out as it did, I suppose. Ahead of the new season, is there cause for concern for Jurgen Klopp's side? How... Klopp did in fact change things up and uh, eventually break through against Arsenal and whether or not the Reds do have maybe a new hero who's emerged from the shadow that the penalty shootout defeat may well have cast on the game for Liverpool. All of that plus to change things up a bit this week even further not only have we a guest host in myself for the podcast but we'll also have our first guest on the podcast as well-known scout and analytics expert Lee Scott author of King Klopp Rebuilding the Liverpool dynasty will also join us for the second half of the podcast. But Dave, without further ado, let's kick off then and look at the Community Shield game. And well, what did you make of it first and foremost? Yeah, I'll be honest, guy. Um, I was a little bit surprised at how it played out. Um, you know, people who were listening and watching last week to me and Josh would have known that we we predicted a, a Liverpool win um, beyond the obvious. In that, I think Liverpool are, you know, the superior side. I also think that um, they they had better preparation. You know, they'd had a longer preseason. Um, they played two tougher games: uh, Stuttgart and obviously Salzburg. Um, really good kind of preseason opponents. Arsenal, on the other hand, had only had the one, hadn't they, uh, against MK Dons, which was maybe just four days before the final. So I just expected Liverpool to have too much. Um, the game as when as we expected, they, they tended to you know dominate the ball, dominate territory, but obviously the scoreline didn't go to plan. And I think if we're being honest, Liverpool just struggled a little bit in terms of uh in terms of creating chances. Yeah, definitely. And I think there was as you say there, a bit of a cause for concern about how Liverpool did sort of struggle to to break Arsenal down a bit. As you say, I think Mikel Arteta actually in his press conference ahead of the game said that Arsenal had only had maybe as many as three uh, sessions together, whereas Jurgen Klopp has spoken about this pre-season, albeit truncated. He has actually been able to have his whole squad together. They'd been in Austria and as you say, things I suppose even early on, Van Dijk had that goal ruled out for offside from the free kick. But bar that, Liverpool at times did look a bit sluggish and looked as though they were trying to get their rhythm and get into the game. Arsenal got a, a fairly early goal and that really sort of seemed to give them a bit of a boost. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Liverpool had a lot of the ball, but I thought it was a fantastic goal by by Arsenal. Okay, there was some questions of, well, it depends what, what camp you're in. Some question Nico Williams, uh, but he's a young lad. I think he probably could have done with a little bit of support on that flank, uh, went, went getting, you know, stood 1v1 with Aubameyang. I think Klopp even referenced it afterwards where he said, you know, we left Nico out there on his own. He did, and it was a, it was a really difficult position for him to be in. Uh, Aubameyang's world-class, great finish. But yeah, Liverpool just did seem just 
I think you used the term then, sluggish. You know, we, we look at the XG. Um, for the first half, it was, I think, it just for the first half alone, it was point, uh, 0.51, you know, which is, for Liverpool's side, is is really low. If you look at the, the kind of XG time chart, it was really neck and neck between both sides. Okay, you know, Arsenal didn't create a lot, but they had two chances. They converted one, and I thought Alisson pulled off a really good save for the other. Um and yeah, it was just very, very toothless. I have to say, it just wasn't, wasn't really what I expected from from Liverpool uh, from an attacking sense, at the very least. And I suppose two players in particular always sort of seem to torment Arsenal for for Liverpool, being Roberto Firmino and Mohamed Salah. But Salah, for large parts, really was a bit of a bystander, wasn't he? He didn't really get into the game and. I know when Josh is here, he, he often likes to call him an output merchant. He gets the ball, he dribbles with it, he shoots. He just didn't get a chance to, to do any of that. Was that Liverpool, I suppose, as we've already referred to, being sluggish or more maybe Arsenal? And do Arsenal maybe deserve a bit of credit in how they've set up under Arteta? They're very compact and they are rigid and tight to, to try and play through. But at the same time, I think Liverpool and Liverpool fans would have been expecting more of the side. Yeah, I, well, I think we're starting to, and we'll maybe come on to this in a little bit more, but we're just, for the while now, we've been talking on this show, um, you know, about potential issues, long, certainly this season, for Liverpool um, in breaking sides down as teams get more accustomed to, to how they play. You know, most people now can kind of summarise in a few sentences, you know, how Liverpool are, they, they know the formation, they know the the threats, um, they know what they like to do. And it seems a lot of sides are starting to enjoy, you know, kind of sitting in, in low block formations and, and just not giving uh, Liverpool much space in behind. Now, I think normally uh, if you've got a full strength side, so I'm, t- I'm specifically thinking about Trent Alexander-Arnold on the pitch. Normally with him there, it, it creates, you know, a bit of a, a multifaceted attack where if the, the front three are being kept quite quiet, there's normally threats from other areas. But obviously he wasn't on the pitch. And I think Liverpool just having to try and break down a well-organised side, which is something we did say last week about Arsenal. We said, you know, it's still early days in Arteta, but some things you can probably probably say that we've, we've definitely seen already is a lot more organisation compared to what, to what Emery had there. Um, and we saw that, you know, that they, they're happy to forego possession, even though the side would like to keep the ball when they're up against Liverpool, they're happy to forego possession, sit in. And um, and I, I think it, it that doesn't suit Liverpool's attackers. Um, you know, if you look at Salah, just because you, you mentioned him, we use him, him as the example, he had one shot all game uh, and attempted one dribble all game, which was unsuccessful, um, which is so rare for such a, the term we like to use, output player. Um, so I, I think really Salah kind of cap- captures the performance of, of the Liverpool attack. Yeah, as you say, Liverpool, I mean, I, I think a lot of us, when we, we look at and talk about Jurgen Klopp's side, like to think about obviously Salah running in behind, as he's done against Arsenal so many times and playing against defences like that. But I think last year, maybe the evolution we saw of Liverpool beginning to control games with the ball more maybe than what they've done in the past without the ball and their, their pressing and their intensity like that. Teams are beginning to sit in a lower and deeper block against them. And I think Salah, I don't know if you agree, Dave, he probably is the one player who that suits least. Firmino can drop off and try and pick up spaces and link balls through. And we've seen Mane with even his, his aerial prowess from Trent Alexander-Arnold crosses from the right, something that Liverpool were lacking, of course. He can adapt as well. But Mane, uh, sorry, Salah seems to sort of struggle to find a new way of breaking opponents down. Yeah, I think Salah's a player that you don't really, as a, de- a defender side, you don't want to be 1v1 with because uh, he's, he's a fantastic dribbler. Uh, he's, he's obviously a willing shooter from anywhere on the pitch as well. Uh, well, anywhere within the, within reason, obviously the final third. But um, so yeah, he's he's kind of someone who, if he gets in those positions and if he is bestowed just a little bit of space, he can he can punish you. But as I said, it doesn't seem to be that many teams are allowing it. Um, we've saw little bits of this in the second half of last season. Um, okay, you know a lot of that was games post the title win but they did just look to be a few struggles and this is why I've I've spoke a lot about a you know potential evolution required uh this season in terms of how Liverpool play 
know, there's no doubt that they've been, you know, they were the best side in the country last season. They were probably the joint best side in the country the season before, you know, to miss out on a point is, is, is really difficult. Um, I, I just think now, though, sides are just starting to find answers. I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to go too far. I don't want to be too extreme in my in, in my response to this because, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's so early. It's, we're not, we haven't even started the Premier League season yet, but I just, I'm just looking ahead and I think even in the second half, you know, we, we expected Arsenal to really tire and they did and obviously they were sitting in uh, Liverpool by far the better team, you know, they looked a lot more threatening, but they still just couldn't take advantage. Did that, that equalising goal come in the final 20 minutes of the match? Um, and, the you know, the Mane chance for me, you know, that got the highest XG on the day. It was just under 0.6. It was a big chance, but that comes through um, Arsenal being a little bit higher up the pitch and a through ball that he can latch onto behind. And that goes on to be the biggest chance. So when it comes to actually breaking down that, that low block, there was there were struggles with it, and you know Klopp said it himself, didn't he? Klopp said after the game, um, we we need to improve, and and we need to. He was a little bit thinking. He said actually at the quote because I've got it here. He said today I was sad when you play against a formation like this, which has happened to us pretty much always. Not only when we are one nil down, but even when it's nil nil, a lot of teams like to play like this. So we need to be a lot more fresher and dangerous inside the final third. Uh, I think that says a lot. Yeah, I think it does sum it up as well. Before we get on to the, the evolution of things and maybe how Jurgen Klopp can tweak things, I want to just speak about the man who was missing really for Liverpool, Trent Alexander-Arnold. And maybe I suppose this game goes to highlight just how elite he and Andy Robertson are. Because we talk an awful lot about how many assists that they get from fullback and it's almost now become taken for granted. But looking at the sort of attacks map for Liverpool and it was 40% of attacks went down the left. Andy Robertson did get in an awful lot. I think he posted a, an XA expected assists of 0.5, didn't he? And Nico Williams was playing down the other side. We've spoken about him in the uh, the role maybe for the Arsenal goal and probably that might have been a bit harsh. But if you look at the sort of attacks map, 23 attacks, 40% for Liverpool down the left-hand side. 17 down the right. So that worked out at, at 35%. And Nico Williams, he I wouldn't say he embarrassed himself, not by any stretch whatsoever. He posted a expected assist of 0.11. But I suppose that goes to show, whilst Williams was probably what you'd expect from a right fullback, Trent Alexander-Arnold really is that sort of step above and Liverpool did miss him. Yeah, well, he's, you know, he's arguably, well, I mean, the, the top two, three in the world in the position. Um, and I think he, he he certainly, even even if he's not maybe creating, you know, because people are so, teams are so aware of the threat he has, uh, I think he just gives you something to think about. Even if, you as a defender, you're thinking, where is, where is he now? Is this attack build? You know, where, where is he going to come into the move? Um you know, Nico Williams looks like looks like he's going to be a really good player. He's a he's a good understudy. Uh, probably still a little bit young in terms of what he can offer, but you can see why Klopp likes him, why he uses him. But he he's not Trent Alexander Arnold. Uh, certainly not that not, not at this stage. And as I said, I think when when you're coming up against sides who are going to sit in, not give you that much space inside their own half. You need different forms of attack because you can't just rely on the front three because they don't have that much room. You know. Normally, this I thought last season Liverpool faced that formation a lot, and when teams were sitting in and nullifying the front three, Robertson, Trent Alexander-Arnold, they were bringing in the, the threat from elsewhere, and it was probably a little bit lopsided in the game on Saturday, where you were kind of more relying on on that left side with with Robertson. Um, I think that's eventually maybe why Klopp feel obviously he's chasing the game. I think he does. He feels like he needs to change it. You know, Williams comes off, he puts Gomez out there and he tries to get um, Minamino on there. You know, Keita come on as well. You know, players who, who are maybe a little bit can make things happen with the ball, defeat, pull, pull players out of position. Um, I think we're probably going to have to see a little bit more of that next year where having a couple more offense, offensive players on the pitch, you can, you can just kind of intricate passes or intricate moves, good footwork just to bring other players out of, out of position. 
Yeah, the joy, I suppose, of Liverpool's attacking formation is with the two fullbacks and the wide players, it really does sort of stretch oppositions to their breaking point and then they can't cope. But when, when you've got one of those missing, all of a sudden, as you say, it is lopsided. It is all over on the, the left. And Robertson did play very well and on another day, I'm sure would have had an assist if uh, Mo Salah hadn't been sort of caught on his heels at the back post a couple of times. But then let's get into the evolution, then the tactical changes that Jurgen Klopp started making. Cater and Minamino come on. Minamino's taken plenty of praise and quite rightly so but I suppose it does show that Liverpool could do with that, I suppose, option through the middle of the pitch. So they had a three-pronged attack, if you look at it going forward, where Trent on the right, Robertson on the left, but they do also have someone who, in the middle, can unpick a defence as well. Are you talking about... Um, who are you talking about there? Sorry. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of saying in terms of just the overarching thing for Liverpool, is that the next step of the evolution? I know yeah, on, yeah, on Saturday, apologies, Minamino yeah. came on, played off the left, but he did play sort of in half spaces as well. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's just the reason you said that. I was wondering whether you referenced the likes of Minamino or, or Keita, someone like that, who, um, who has that just a bit more offensive threat from central locations. Um, but yeah, I'll be honest, I thought Minamino done, done well. He looked... I don't know if it was just eyes deceiving us, but he just looked a little bit stronger as well. I think if if you could probably not criticise him at all, but if there's one thing you've noticed since he's come in in, in January, he's looked very lightweight for this for this division, um, and I think that's maybe why he hasn't had the impact that Liverpool fans would have been hoping for. But certainly in, in this game, I thought he did look a little bit more dangerous. I thought he looked a little bit stronger. I thought he, he finished his goal well and, you know, he obviously gambles on running in to follow the ball. and uh, You know, little things that you may you may miss, but if he doesn't make that run, he doesn't get to finish it. Um, I'm not I'm not too sure about Mane playing uh, in the mid, in midfield. Uh, I think he was almost like a right-sided number eight, wasn't he? Um, for me, I think he, he I know he, he, he had one of his quieter games, but he still had something like four shots too, which were, on target, he's always he's always a threat for me, Mane. I'm just not sure maybe he's nullified a little bit in that central position. Um, but then you know, we look switch to the four two three one later on. And I remember in the last game against Arsenal, they switched to the four two three one. But you had players like Origi and stuff coming in, and uh, it just didn't feel right. You know, it, it it didn't feel like a team for the future. Then um, I guess it was a little bit you know square pegs round holes type. But this four two three one that they, they finished with did seem a little bit more natural. You know, you had um, obviously the back four. You had two sitting in the middle. Cater one of them. While Alden was the other. We don't know whether he's going to be here next year. Um, then you had Mane on the right, Jones through the middle, Minamino on the left, and Salah up top. And I think in terms of from four, that that has a lot of potential uh, to be quite dangerous next year. Don't know what your thoughts are, guy. Yeah, no, I thought actually Minamino for. I don't know if it's harsh to say the first time really in his stay at Liverpool looked a really potent and dangerous option coming on. I mean, before he'd come on, James Milner, I think it was, was effectively Liverpool's second most dangerous player looking at the the numbers and things. But I think that position on the left-hand side, a lot of talk's been going on. Obviously, Liverpool were linked with Timo Werner. That deal didn't happen. Who could maybe deputised for Mane on the left-hand side, or if Mane even maybe went through the middle as a focal point or went off to the right in a 4-2-3-1, who could play on that left-hand side? And for me, I think Minamino maybe found a home in that position. And as you say, I think that the 4-2-3-1, I'm sort of in two minds, to be honest, David. Whether Jurgen Klopp switched to that because he felt that was the right course of attack, or as you've already referenced before, Arsenal were really tiring. And I think he saw, right, we're one goal behind. We need to throw the kitchen sink at it. And in the end, obviously, Arsenal couldn't really cope. Uh, Liverpool Mm. kind of bulldozed their way through for the goal. It wasn't pretty, but it, it got the job done. And interesting to see, actually, how much faith, how much trust he's got in that formation to maybe go with it from the start in any games coming up once the Premier League season does get underway. Yeah. It's you know it's something me and Josh have talked about a few times on the show, so people might recognise the the conversation. But it's, I think it's just a little bit more offensive, isn't it? Um, and certainly as as we're talking about when you're facing sides, you're just sitting back. There's no point having such a a kind of conservative um, middle three. You know, you need you need someone else in there, like an extra 
attacker just to to help break things down. Uh, we think Klopp was potentially kind of when he first come in looking at maybe a four-two-three-one, uh, judging by the players Liverpool were getting linked with. Um, he's obviously come away from that in the four-three-three. He's been you know phenomenal tactic really. It's been at times unbeatable. Um, but I just think in, in certain games, you know, if you let's let's think about the side next year. Um, now I really like them, but we'll just use these as an example because they seem quite traditional. If you're playing Burnley at Anfield, um, you know, you you know you're going to see a lot of the ball. You're going to have a lot of territory, so you're going to need that extra kind of threat from the middle. Um, it might be why so many people are are really desperate to see Liverpool get Thiago in because he is he has got a little bit a little bit more of a penetrating. Threat, you know, if you think of that ball that he played in the Champions League final, which led to the goal, um, you know, Kate has got that, but it's just if we can get Kate regularly in the side, but you can see maybe uh, why he would opt to go towards the 4 2 3 1. Um, it just might depend on the opponent. It might be, a, I don't know, maybe a fluctuation between the two throughout the season. Yeah, I don't know about you as well, though. I think that. I think that could be maybe exciting for a player like Fabinho because, of course, when he first came in, Jurgen Klopp sort of said he'd struggled because at Monaco he'd always played in a in a two. Now, obviously, he's got used to playing in that six role, but he does play a fair few vertical passes, usually finding someone like Andy Robertson charging down the left who then crosses. I'm pretty sure the, the equaliser at Old Trafford came from Fabinho finding Robertson and then, obviously, Lallana came in at the far post off the top of my head. I think that one was. But also, we've seen with the... The goals, and yeah, albeit it's only two against Man City and Crystal Palace at Anfield last season, that Fabinho does have a, a bit of a shot on him. So if he moved maybe into a an anchor role, and Jordan Henderson, I don't think you can underplay his importance to Liverpool, but almost if his role became the one that was shifted forward, so rather than looking at that left of a three all the time as having to be the creative player or attacking-like midfielder who came into the system. Vijnaldum may be round for another year. He can obviously play that shuttling role. But even if Thiago came in, they're not the same player, but in a 4-2-3-1, that might suit Thiago more than Vijnaldum being a double pivot and trying to link and play creative passes. And whilst Henderson isn't getting any younger, it would be an evolution to move past him. You'd have to find another player in the side to G the team up quite like Henderson does. But I don't know what your thoughts on that. Just when you were speaking, that was sort of how I would see that potentially playing out. Yeah, no, I I, I, I totally get it. You know, I think it's a really good point. And you do talk about, you know, uh, certain players get moved on, overlooking them. It's quite difficult. But I do believe if you look at this side now, it maybe not this year, but we, we are coming to, I think, a, a transition period where some players are probably going to start moving on out of this kind of elite group. Um, although they're only you know late twenties, but it we're just starting a few are touching that kind of thirty mark, and I think the great side, you know, your United, one of the Ferguson stuff, they always kind of preempted these changes coming and, and and set the kind of wheels in motion to make it as seamless as possible. Uh, I think Liverpool are kind of when it comes to recruitment and and planning next steps are probably the best in one of the best in Europe so yeah I think what you've said there it, it is interesting um, I mean look it could be way off you know if, if Klopp was on the conversation now you might say I've got no intentions of changing any formations or any way we're playing because it was such you know dominated the Premier League for two years doing it um, so we could be way off but as I said it just feels like it's very rare you see a top side certainly in England kind of um, stick to the same you know, structure, uh, routine formations for beyond, you know, two, three years because think the teams seem to find a, a bit of a response to it. Um, and I also think on top of that, and this is a point Josh has made, Liverpool haven't really recruited over the last year or 18 months after, you know, they haven't really brought in any huge names. And I think that can, when you bring in a big player, it can lift the squad. Uh, it can kind of give you other options. And, just, just freshen things up a little bit. Uh, you know, that, that hasn't happened. We don't know if that's going to happen this summer. But it could all just be in danger of becoming a little bit... Um, I don't want to... I don't, I, I'm not being negative. I'm, I'm just trying to explain why I think we could see a change. It, it could become a little bit stale, I think, if if we didn't see any new new names and we just saw the same kind of formation and, 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 and player roles and things. So I guess that's why I'm kind of preempting that we might see some sort of adaptation. Um, with the players like some Minamino and Keita start playing more regularly. 
Yeah, and I think the the four two three one as well. I think I personally think it would suit someone like Minamino right down to the ground, and I think off that left hand side he'd be a brilliant player. But then I suppose you've got the real dilemma of what happens on the right. Of course, a couple of seasons ago when Klopp did do it, Salah after that first breakout season he hadn't started the following season as well. Bit of pressure maybe. Oh, was he a one season wonder? He's dispelled that myth, so let's not go there. But he was put through the middle almost as the opportunity to be that output player and be at the top end of the pitch. But I don't know about you, but for me now, and looking even at the the XG from the Community Shield game, and albeit he ended up on the right-hand side of a midfield three at one stage, but Sadio Mane seems to have taken on that role. And I think, actually, as a number nine almost, as it were, I think he's probably got the skill set to, to play that role. He's physical, albeit for quite a small player. He's good in the air. And we know, obviously, what he can do when he does get a chance in on goal. But then I suppose Salah would have to adapt his role off the right because he wouldn't be as advanced as he is in, in a, a 4-3-3. Yeah, I think... Um, so I, I love Mane. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I it depends who you like, what type of player you like, because Mane and Salah are different players. For me, I, I, I'd probably go with Mane, but I can't see the appeal behind Salah, um, just in terms as a player. But I think the reason why maybe Salah is better suited to the nine is that thing that we often talk about with him, that he's just such an output player. I think Mane is probably the better finisher. You know, people might argue with that, but I just, uh, you know, he tends to shoot less than Salah, but, you know, he, he um, he's, he's, probably, he's normally a bit more accurate when he does. I think part of the appeal, some may say it's a negative, but I think it's the appeal. Part of the appeal with Salah is the high output. Um, so he might, you know, sometimes you see Salah take a shot and it's, he can be look a little bit naff, a little bit weak, straight down the middle, and it's a little bit frustrating. But he he tends to have you know three or four shots per game, and it's that high output that results in his high amount of goals. But I think if you were to only be giving him one or two shots a game, you could see a dramatic kind of fall in his goal return. So I do think it's he's a player who has a lot of shots, but you also need to create a lot for him. Whereas I think Mane can be a little bit more selective maybe needs less shots in a game to score um so that's why i'd probably maintain having a, a real output player like salah up top uh, and, and let Mane kind of do his work elsewhere obviously don't forget when he first come he was on the right of the midfield wasn't he at liverpool and he had uh coutinho on the left um so really versatile you know which is something that people kind of forget with Mane. you can't just see him as this left side of the attacker now but he's you know he's, he was for a long time on the right yeah, he certainly was. And for, for me, as I say, I would like to maybe see him go through the the middle for a bit of time. But And I suppose through the middle then, there is a bit of a conversation to be had around Roberto Firmino. And I'm sure this will go on through the course of the season. But the game really sort of summed up to me on, on Saturday, Dave, with what Liverpool have at number nine at the moment. He's a very good link player, but in terms of stepping up at the crucial moments with crucial goals, he so often does against Arsenal. But I think if you look at Aubameyang's goal, I think that rated with XG at 0.06. So that very much is an elite finish from an elite level player. And without wanting to try and criticise Roberto Firmino for for missing an XG chance with 0.05 value to it. I think early in the second half, he had a shot from a very similar position outside the box that he tried to curl into that bottom corner like Aubameyang had done, but missed the target. And I suppose, obviously, with his, his goal record at Anfield last season hanging over his head, there probably is going to be a bit of talk around Firmino. We've spoken about Salah, we've spoken about Mane, probably only right we do have a bit of a, a chat on Firmino. Yeah, so Firmino's so interesting, isn't he? Because he's obviously, he's a number nine. Um, no, I think he's number nine shirt number, isn't he? But um, obviously he plays number nine, but in reality, he, he's more of a number 10, isn't he? You know, the positions that he occupies, if you have a look at his heat maps, um He's he's basically playing like a number ten, so he, I suppose you could argue that maybe Liverpool missed that um, out and out traditional goal scorer through the middle, um, which were preempting maybe Brewster might be that. Um, so it's it's hard. I don't think one needs to be purchased. I think you go with, in my opinion, you go with Brewster next year, and you you kind of alternate for whatever you need. I said Firmino is 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 all about coming short, linking up the play. Uh, he's basically, as I said, he's a number number ten without getting the the credit for it. Um, 
so I don't know. We can be. I don't. I, I don't know where to stand in terms of criticising him from a goals goal scoring point of view. I don't think he's ever going to be a player who'll in, in certainly at Liverpool who maybe get twenty plus goals. But I think that's a lot to do with the system as well of his own finishing abilities. I think just the the way he drops off and stuff. It's it, it's really difficult to just be. You know, always in that right place at the right time to be getting shots off. I mean, it'd be interesting. Let me just bring him up now to see um, how many shots he averaged per 90 last season. Because I imagine it's, I mean, I'll keep him up, but mm, yeah, so he's average, averaging around 2.6, which is a little bit higher than four. But then if we compare that to, um, to Salah, so obviously for me, you know, I was averaging two point six shots per ninety last season in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, you know, Salah's three point seven, so he he doesn't get as many shots uh, on goal for me, you know. So it's just really difficult guy to to kind of summarize where I stand on him. I think he's he's integral to the team, and his kind of other things that he does in terms of his attack and play maybe makes it worthwhile having him on the pitch even if he isn't going to score as many as a, a top-class number nine, traditional number nine would. Yeah, you mentioned Curtis Jones before, but the reason I was sort of saying that as well, though, is if we're thinking 4-2-3-1 may be an answer going forward. And of course, Firmino did do it the year that Liverpool won the Champions League and did get 97 points in the Premier League. So by no means, as you say, throw the uh, the baby out with the the, the water type thing. It's, it's one of them where... I just wonder in that number 10 role, he plays that false nine where he drops off and then vacates the space in behind. If there's a, a focal point ahead of him, that link work he does, I suppose teams in a low block know they can sit there because there's still going to be a forward player occupying the defenders. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it is. It, it is difficult to see what you what you do with that. Uh, but as I said, we, we it, it may not even go to the 4-2-3-1. It may just be... Um, it may maintain as it is. Um, you know, if they did, maybe it could be a rotation between like Jones coming in there, depending on the opposition. Then for me, you know, playing there. Um, I think the good thing is just quickly on Jones. I think he's going to be a really good option for Liverpool this year. You know, he looks. He doesn't look like you're trying to bed in an academy player. He looks like a player who comes in and and, and kind of makes a difference. Um, so I think he could. He could kind of be that player that they've 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 been missing if they do want to change things a little bit. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how how it, how it plays out across the course of the season. Um, we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose that is the only answer we're going to get by actually waiting and seeing what does play out. Well, uh, that's the Community Shield taken care of then and any potential tactical evolution for Jurgen Klopp's side. Coming up next, though, we will welcome our first ever guest to Analyzing Anfield. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. For the second half then of this week's episode, we've got our first ever guest on Analyzing Anfield with us. I'm excited to say that Lee Scott, well-known scout, analyst, and of course, as we'll get into, author of King Klopp, Rebuilding the Liverpool Dynasty, is here with us. First and foremost, Lee, thanks for your time and thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Guy. How are you? It's really, really good to come on. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, no, great to uh, have you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we're keeping, uh, we're keeping good, thanks. So looking then, we're going to get into to plenty of stuff. Your sort of background, Lee, talking obviously about Liverpool and the book. But Dave knows you very well. We just met and in terms of our, our listenership, I'm, so, I'm sure a number of them do know about yourself. But in terms of those who may not have seen your work, what is, what is your background? Um, I've got a bit of a, a strange background, I think, too, to a point within football, I... I got a break working with Hibernian in, in Scottish football as a, a scout for the first team initially. Um, that led to a move to St Mirren, another Scottish team, to work as opposition analyst and scout, and then on to Partick Thistle finally to work as their opposition analyst before I kind of came out of football in that sense. Um, now my, my work, my day job, is working with total football analysis on the, the consultancy side of the business. So we do a lot of work with clubs, with agents and different things to put together reports on, on players or opposition analysis. And of course, with that, I've also had the time to, to write a couple of books so far. So yeah, everything seems to be going well, but it's kind of a, a strange route around football, if you like. 
Yeah, I um, I must say, Lee. Obviously, I've 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 read a lot of your work. Um, you know, in various places. Um, and I know you've you've been really supportive of analysing Anfield as well. So, you know, we do appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, it's probably a good time just to to briefly. You, you mentioned the books there. Um, so you've obviously you you brought out this really exciting book, King Klopp Rebuilding the Liverpool Dynasty. Um, just before we start, I'm right in saying that you're not actually a Liverpool fan, are you? I'm not. The, the no. only team that I actually support is Aberdeen up here in Scotland. <laughs> Other than I, I tend to do what a lot of people do. I, I follow coaches and players that I'm interested in more than anything else. I think. Yeah. I mean, on that basis, you can see the appeal. Obviously, I know you've 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 wrote a book about um, about Pep and Man City, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it, it, it's obvious, really, why you've I guess kind of on that basis you've 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 looked at Liverpool on the Jurgen Klopp because it's been quite a quite a, a roller coaster these last few years. Obviously, peaking with Champions League and and the Premier League. So you know. But with that in mind, how did the idea of the book come about? I think that, I mean, obviously I've been, I've been really interested in Jurgen Klopp since his time at Borussia Dortmund. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I, I followed him much or knew much about him initially when he was at Mainz, but but certainly that Dortmund side that was so exciting with their, their high-tempo heavy metal football, as he christened it himself, I think that... <laughs> when he moved to English football to a club like Liverpool, it, it just made so much sense from a, a cultural point of view, from a, a connection to the city, the team point of view. And then and then we saw him evolve his tactical style from everyone. When, when Klopp first signed, everyone was talking about gegenpressing. And that was everywhere. Every article that you read had reference of gegenpressing. Liverpool are going to gegenpress and what that meant. But I think over the years that, that Klopp has been at Liverpool, we've seen him kind of evolve his tactical style. And, and that's something that really caught my eye because I like coaches who who learn and are willing to change, especially at the top level where the pressure is so great. He's He's got the courage, if you like, to change the way that he, he does things and what he asks from his players. And I think over this last season, we kind of saw the next evolution of that with the Liverpool moving toward a controlling style of playing and that's something that I felt like I, I really needed to to write about in a long form fashion so so that's why I decided to put together the book I think. Yeah yeah you, I mean you're absolutely spot on and you know obviously I, I, I see a lot of your work and I'm sure many people on Twitter will as well if, if anyone is wondering uh, you can find Leon at FM Analysis um, he's got quite the following on there there's a lot of good work that he that he shares but I'm just curious because, you know, obviously you're, you've you've got your finger firmly on the pulse in terms of, you know, the kind of analysis work out there within football. So for a book like this, what sorts of research and preparation goes into to writing it? You know, how long is the process? Bearing in mind that you probably have a, a decent idea of, of the kind of principles you're going to be covering. Yeah, I think that the process for, for something like this, same when I was looking at Pep Guardiola, but definitely with Jurgen Klopp and, and Liverpool, the, the process of actually writing the book only takes me a couple of months. I, I'm quite used to writing. I'm a quick writer. I can kind of sit down and block things out and write a chapter in, in a few hours. So it's relatively fast to do that. I think that the main thing was just to to see as much of Liverpool as I could and, and then to do enough research, if you like, and, and this podcast was one of my main pieces of research. I made sure that I listened to every episode. I listened to a few a couple of times because the, the points that you and Josh make are, are so good around Liverpool and what they're trying to do and what's good and what's bad in the Liverpool system. Um, from that point on, like you say, I, I had an idea from watching Liverpool of what they did but it was just making sure that I could draw out the intricacies. So, yeah, we could talk about the movement of the front three. Everyone could see that. We could talk about the the importance of Trent Alexander-Arnold when he gets the ball in the half space and his passing range. Everyone could see that. But then I think the most interesting aspect for me was pulling apart the midfield and the fact that they were so different, the three midfielders. When you take Vinaldo, Fabinho and Henderson as the midfielders, you have... Henderson, who operates in chaos, he presses, he, he runs up to the penalty area, he supports the attack, and then you have Fabinho and 
and um, Vinaldum, who are perhaps more nuanced, but their role, I think, was really interesting for Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp last season. And I think that that was kind of something that I maybe took a little bit more time to to research and had to watch a few things back a few times before I, I really understood, I think, what they were trying to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, two, two, two things. Firstly, we definitely never told Lee or paid Lee to, to say that on the show. That was that was authentic. I hope anyway. Um, but I don't. Have you got it? Just just briefly, Lee. I, I, I don't know how many uh, Liverpool fans you follow or how much you see, but, but have you noticed that there does seem to be a bit of a. Um, a, a dismissive attitude a little bit to Wijnaldum over these past few weeks yeah. with the with the obviously um, you know Thiago maybe waiting in the wings and it, it is really interesting I'm so glad that you mentioned it about his importance to the side because you know although he's not the guy who's stealing headlines with you know great goals great assists uh, he is integral to that side and he's been so important to a, a Premier League winning and Champions League winning team hasn't he? He definitely has I think that it's natural, I think, to a point at a club like Liverpool that in the off-season fans will start to look at the squad and they'll they'll pick apart the players who, who maybe don't seem to be as contributing as much. If you look at the, the stats, even the underlying metrics to a point on Vinaldum, you can look at some of those and you can question his output. But that's because a lot of what Vinaldum gives Liverpool against the ball, so out of possession, is hard to quantify because he isn't aggressive in the press. He doesn't have a, a great deal of regains and interceptions, but what he does is he blocks passing lanes so intelligently that he stops the opposition from progressing the ball on his side of the field. So whereas Jordan Henderson, who we've already talked about, operates in chaos and he will press and press and press and counter press and try and win the ball back. And if you're watching that game, you can see Jordan Henderson pressing and pressing and trying to win the ball back. But then Vinaldum is so good with his positioning that sometimes the opposition just simply don't try to play past him. I think there was one game last season, I remember, I think it was against Leicester City, when Soyuncu and Chilwell were really progressing the ball well down their left-hand side. And Henderson was getting bypassed when he pressed and were just playing around him. And I think Liverpool switched Vinaldum to play on the other side, so they switched Vinaldum and Henderson. And all of a sudden, so you and Chilwell couldn't progress the ball anymore because Vinaldo was taking up such good positions. I think that's the kind of thing that almost goes unnoticed, if you like. And I think that obviously the Thiago links are huge. If Thiago comes in, he adds a different dimension to the Liverpool midfield. But I think that Liverpool, Liverpool fans really need to appreciate just how important Vinaldo has been over the course of these last two seasons. And I'm sure that Jurgen Klopp recognises that. Mm. Yeah. Just before, I assume. Oh, sorry, guy. I was going to say you've probably got a few questions of your own, so I'll I'll keep it brief. But just just on that point, it makes me feel almost as if there's a maybe the the, the blind spots in the data uh, for people who are using that to try and quantify his impact. And you know, the point the point you just talked about in that Leicester game is really important. That that's not always going to be you know picked up within numbers. Uh, but you know, as I said, he's he is integral. Um, but yeah, go ahead, sorry, guy. Yeah, no. All I wanted to to ask you about Lee was the man himself, Jurgen Klopp. Obviously, you've you've titled the book King Klopp, and you've written the book on Pep Guardiola as well. And one thing that fascinates me is sort of how these footballing ideologies get passed down. We know Pep Guardiola. Obviously, it's clear to see Barcelona, Ajax, that Johan Cruyff and uh, Renus Mikkel's uh, total football idea. But with Jurgen Klopp. It does seem to be a complete contrast where he's kind of worked this out on the job himself, but he seems to have really come across a, a unique tactical system that now everyone else is trying to sort of replicate and copy. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that, that Klopp, to a point, when you, you, you talk about the fact that, that Klopp obviously developed within German football and a lot of the ideas in German football in modern days anyway kind of stem from Ralf Ranić who just left a post with uh, the Red Bull group and was close to taking over AC Milan as there. He wanted to be, I think, coach and director of the football club, which is perhaps why Milan turned their back a little bit. And Ragnik has been linked with a lot of moves to England as well, I think. But Ragnik was the first one who kind of stepped away from the German stereotype of playing with a libido, a sweeper behind the defensive line. And he introduced this idea of pressing and, and marking systems that were different to what was used previously. And I think that 
Klopp has adopted a lot of these ideas, but then, of course, he's taken these ideas and almost supercharged them. So you had that Borussia Dortmund team who who giga-pressed. They counter-pressed so aggressively. There were times when they had the ball that they would deliberately pass the ball into the corners of the pitch just so they could allow the opposition to have the ball there, and then they could press them to win the ball back. And I think that the move to English football, a lot of people expected to see that game model almost transferred wholesale into Liverpool. But I think that what Klopp has done so well is that he has adapted his game to, to the English game extremely well. So in this last season, I think the move of Trent Alexander-Arnold to start playing inverted, to play in the half spaces, it was designed to allow Liverpool to have more control and possession. So they weren't constantly attacking in quick transitions anymore. There were more moments when Liverpool would dominate the opposition and just press them back and then work from there. I think that every season we've seen a slightly different tweak to this Liverpool game model. And that speaks really highly of Klopp. I think that's why he's so keen on getting a player like Thiago, because Thiago is potentially the next evolution to this Liverpool side. And I think just sort of continuing on that sort of Klopp-Guardiola thing of how they're different, you you don't see sort of what happened with City in the Champions League always happen with Liverpool very often where Klopp gets accused of overthinking things. Once he's got a tactical plan, you sort of feel as though it is robust. Not not from the point he rolls it out, as we said there, he's gagging pressing and things have evolved and changed like that. But for example, he must have been thinking about pushing Trent into a more dominant position in those half spaces for a little while. And then when he does it, it seems as though the balance of the squad is right and the team is ready to implement that. Yeah, the, the balance is key. And you're right, that was something that was really, really impressive because obviously they move Trent inside and then they lose width on the right-hand side because Salah's not going to stay wide all the time. He likes to come inside almost to the centre-forward position, more or less. And so... The, the plan was to push Trent inside, but then for Jordan Henderson to move from that central space almost to a right wing position. And it's those little intricacies within the system that make everything work so well. But, I mean, we got to the point, I think, towards the end of last, before the, the breakup of the COVID outbreak, where teams were almost, you could see that teams knew what Liverpool were going to do. But it's one thing to know how they're going to play and what they're going to do, but their execution and the quality of, at an individual level of their players was so high that it becomes extremely, extremely difficult for teams to stop them. The, the only two that I can really think of, other than the games that they lost, and it's the Watford game, um, which was obviously a loss. But before that, the only teams that really sussed them out for me were Napoli in the first group stage of the Champions League match when Carlo Ancelotti was the coach and he set up an almost a 4-2-4 and kept attacking players on the full-backs and centre-backs to Liverpool and they couldn't progress the ball past them. And then Sheffield United, where Chris Wilder set up so well defensively in that first match, I think Gini Vinaldum ended up sneaking a ball past Dean Henderson for the only goal of the game. But those coaches kind of were the only ones that came up with a way to, to fully stifle Liverpool. Every other coach knew what they were going to do, but the quality of the Liverpool players is so high and the execution was so good, and that's what came through, I think. Yeah, it's you know, I was going to speak about this a little bit later on, but I think given the conversation we're having now, it's a really good uh, time to bring it up. Obviously, I was going to ask your thoughts on maybe Liverpool's prospect for the season ahead. You know, can they retain the title? You know, can they go again in Europe? But just on that point, maybe before you comment on that, I'm just keen to think to see if you think there may be another tactical evolution this year. It's something we were talking about on the first half of the show. Um, you know, mainly just to freshen things up, um, given that there may be a lack of recruitment again. But also, I'm just of the opinion a little bit um, that teams are potentially starting to not necessarily suss Liverpool out because I still think they'll win 90% of the games, even if they carried on playing as they are. But I do just think a lot more sides are doing a good job of nullifying them. I, I thought Arsenal done quite well on, on Saturday, you know, sitting in and just looking to it on the counter. Um, I think it's really difficult for Liverpool's attackers to, to function um, when, when they haven't got that space in behind. Um, and then, you know, when, when players who, who crucial players are missing, such as Trent, uh, who's, we've already talked about some really important. I just wonder whether you think that it may we may see another evolution on this kind of the 4-3-3 and how they've played and been so successful over the past two years. 
I think that's definitely what Klopp's looking at. I think that teams now know that you nullify the Liverpool fullbacks and then they struggle a little bit to press the ball because that midfield, much as it is well balanced, it's so still so so functional. I mean, Fabinho can beat a press with a dribble if you like, but how often is your six going to get the ball in a position where he can beat a man centrally and then engage others and create space that way? So teams sit on the fullbacks and then they've learned to sit on Virgil van Dijk as well because if they sit on the fullbacks and leave van Dijk open, van Dijk will step into midfield and cause an overload there and then Liverpool can progress the ball that way. So if teams take both of those options away, that's where Liverpool really start to struggle. I think you're right, Arsenal at the weekend did well. They, they, they kept space. They, they were very compact defensively, so Firmino couldn't really find space centrally to receive the ball. Because he couldn't receive the ball, the space wasn't really in behind him, and so that the wide attackers couldn't attack that space like they normally would. I think that the, the sensible evolution and why they're, they're looking so closely at Santiago is to add a progressive player into the middle of the park. For my money, I think that Liverpool would, would love for Naby Keita to be able to be fit for the whole season because he gives you that progressive option in the central areas. He's a player who's capable of playing the same kind of passes that Thiago does, not with the same quality because they're very different players and that Thiago has very few peers on world football in terms of his passing range and passing vision, maybe only Kevin De Bruyne now. But Naby Keita does give you the ability to beat pressure in central areas through either carrying the ball and dribbling or playing those passes through the lines. I don't think Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool are convinced that they can rely on them to be fit for the long term over a full season. And that's where they're looking to add a player into that central area who can pass that ball, who can play the ball that breaks the lines of the opposition, that, that kind of opens the game up when the other options are taken away. And I think that that's the next sensible approach. And I really like the addition of Takumi Minamino. I think that his ability and his, the positions that he takes up to receive the ball, whether he plays on the right or he plays as the nine, I think that he gives something different. But I think that'll be more off the bench. I think that the, the next evolution has to come in the, in the three central midfielders. Yeah, yeah, I um, I agree. I thought Minamino. All right, we actually talked about him a little bit earlier. He just he just looked a lot more imposing. I don't even physically he looked a little bit stronger. Yeah, yeah I thought uh, you know when he came in January, the one thing you probably say over this initial few months, you know, pre and post uh, the COVID break was he just looked a little bit lightweight for this for this division. But he definitely looked a bit more. You know, stronger, and I thought he he had a good little cameo on the on the weekend, um, which is he looked confident as well, which is going to be good news for the pool because he could be important this season. Um, we'll we'll go back onto the book, um, obviously without revealing too much because at the end of the day, you know, we want people to go and buy the book because it's 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 fantastic. But if you kind of had to touch on maybe. I don't know, one or two instrumental things that have happened over the past two or three years, whether that be a, a tactical change, a, a recruitment of certain players, what would you say has really been key for the, the success of this Liverpool side? I think that with everything that Liverpool have achieved, what's really stood out for me is that they've, they've always kept, I mean, there's a lot of rotations and a lot of movement that we've kind of already touched upon. So we see Mane and Salah moving from wide to central positions. You see Henderson moving wide, Alexander Arnold moving at the half space. All of these things are really important with how Liverpool play. But I think the key thing is that they still have these really important reference points centrally. So I think the, the signing is an obvious one, but the signing of Virgil van Dijk gives Liverpool that reference point at the base of the attack when they're in possession. He's always available to receive the ball. He can beat a man through, through dribbling past him. He can play a pass between the lines. But also ahead of that, the reference point of Fabinho, I think Pepe Linders has already talked about him at one point and called him the lighthouse of this Liverpool team because he's the reference point. He's always there. And he's kind of the, the reference point around which all this chaos happens in terms of rotations and movements. And I think that having a player like Fabinho, 
but who sits in front of Virgil van Dijk, it gives Liverpool a really, really solid base through which everything has to attack. And I kind of tried to, to touch in the book upon the, the importance of the six in this Liverpool system and, and explain how that player's used to release pressure and then to, to join the attack at late moments when he takes positions in the, the opposite defensive structure that you're not expecting him to be there. And suddenly Fabinho's got the ball and he's got this the same ability that Patrick Vieira used to have at Arsenal. He, he, he looks like he's about to lose the ball and before you know it, he's dribbled past two players. <laughs> and the, the, the opportunities and the, the, the chances that that creates for Liverpool by just disrupting the opposition's defensive block, I think is something that's really important. I think that they, they caught everybody by surprise with that signing of Fabinho because it came so quickly after the end of the season that there was very little paper talk about it just suddenly the club announced that they'd signed Fabinho and this is a player who used to play at right back when he first moved to Europe, who used to play at centre back and then suddenly he's the six. And this kind of versatility that a player with that profile gives you is something that I think has been integral for Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I think it's really good that you touch on the you know the how how we actually come in as well because I always think Liverpool being really good, not only in their recruitment but in terms of keeping it all in-house um, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago how uh, Marcel Brands, who's the director of football at Everton, mm-hmm. was was pretty furious that all of Everton's links always seem to be getting leaked to the yeah. media. Yeah. And you know, obviously, the problem is um, when if, if other clubs are keeping an eye on the same players and they know that a Premier League club's about to make a move, it can often push them to make the same move. And yeah. when you have, when you haven't got Europe to offer and things, it's it's a bit of an issue. But I think Liverpool have always been really good at I mean we, we we tend to find out on the day, don't we, as as you know, as as kind of like even in the media as fans, we, we find out within a couple of hours that this deal is pretty much done. But we haven't heard anything before that. So I think that's on top of the really good uh, recruitment in terms of you know picking players to make a move for them, you know, identifying them. I think the actual process of bringing them in has always been brilliant as well. On that point um, as well, just on that point as well, David. Yeah. Lee, your thoughts on this? I think it's impressive how Liverpool keep things in house, but also how you're speaking there about Fabinho going from right back, centre back. Of course, he'd been in midfield for Monaco when they'd done so well in the Champions League. But is how Liverpool have seen positions within their team in other players in other teams that they've then brought them in and put them into that position. Manny being a prime example playing on the right at Southampton and now he's such a goal-getter on the left and as you've already alluded to Fabinho in his role. Yeah, you can look at Firmino as well. When he was playing Hoffenheim, he played very much as almost a second striker or even a wide player. And I know that when Firmino first came to Liverpool, Brendan Rodgers maybe didn't fancy him for one reason or another. I think we all have an opinion on exactly why that was. It might not be anything to do with actual football. But when he first came to Liverpool, he played on the left-hand side for Liverpool. And if you'd told me, I mean, I was a great fan of his when he was at Hoffenheim. I was really following that Hoffenheim team closely because of a number of really interesting players. But if you told me that he would one day play as the number nine for an English side who would win the Champions League and then the Premier League title, I wouldn't have believed you because mm-hmm. he doesn't have the profile of a number nine. He's a, He's got the profile of a 10. But he's such an intelligent player and him coming into that position and being put in a role with players like, Sa- like Sa- Salah and Mane they all work so well and together because they have individual player profiles that fit so well. Both of those wide attackers look to come inside but Firmino's happy coming deep and everything clicks. I think that having players within your squad that can play in more than one position is extremely important. I do think that eventually maybe not this season but eventually we are going to see a time when Alexander-Arnold has played in midfield. Just almost as it could be covered if there's injuries, it could be an experiment against a team with a lower profile, but I do think that'll happen. I still see his long-term position is right back because you can't really take away how effective he is from there but I think that Liverpool would really value having the the positional flexibility within the squad to do different things so I think that if you're talking about squad building and recruitment in, in the modern game it is so important to have players who can do different things for you because it gives you so much more flexibility going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, Fabinho, perfect example of that. You know, we know that Liverpool probably require another centre-back with Lovren departing, but, you know, in Fabinho, you've got a player who can play in his traditional six role, but then he can also fill in as a centre-back and, and do that job quite adequately as well. He done that against Arsenal. I remember doing it a few times last season. In fact, if I remember correctly, he may have done it in the uh, League Cup game against Arsenal Anfield where they finished... Uh, five all. Um, when when you yeah, I'm not sure Jurgen Klopp. Will, I'm not sure Jurgen Klopp will want that <laughs> defensive display all the time. Dave, but take your point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the worst example possible, but uh, you know, it's just it's just re- reiterating Lee's point. Really, that versatility is so key. Um, and obviously, having players you can play multiple roles will be important. Um, before we wrap up, Lee, this is the most important part. Where can people buy the book? <laughs> uh, you can find it on Amazon, on Book Depository, or in any bookshop. Now, it should be fully released everywhere. Then, and if you do pick it up, then thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we uh, we fully endorse it, and if if possible, we'll we'll check with Guy. But if we can, we can maybe pop a link in in the uh, underneath the YouTube. Uh, video if that's possible guys yeah no and in the, the the description for the podcast lee thanks a lot for for joining it's been absolutely great to uh to get you on the podcast no worries at all thank you very much for having me i really appreciate it great stuff Cheers, well mate. that wraps up then this edition of analyzing anfield as we've had our first ever guest as dave says the uh link to lee's book will be in the description of the podcast as to dave will be a link to your analytic five newsletter if you you want to give that one a plug yourself <laughs> Yeah, yeah, again. Um, but uh, we talked about it before, but it's just um, it's a newsletter that covers you know different t- tactical trends, interesting players, um, analytical content in general. It's not just about Liverpool, although Liverpool do tend to feature being the side that they are. Uh, but you can find a link to uh, sign up in my yeah on my Twitter in my bio. Uh, there's also a Analytics Fives uh, Twitter account as well goes out saying it's completely free to sign up um, and it'll just be in your inbox every day in the evening for you to have a little read great stuff well that rounds us off for analysing Anfield then from myself Guy Clark Dave Hughes and Lee Scott thanks for joining us and we'll catch you later you've been listening to the analysing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel